Episode 159 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by the Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Hi, my name is Emma Lasco. I'm a second gen pilot and I'm fighting for aeromedical reform. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to episode 159 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with my fellow North Carolinian, Emma. Emma is currently starting a movement for pilots health, for mental health. Uh, we go into great depth in this episode and in a future episode. This is going to be part one of a part two. Uh, this episode specifically is part one. It's focusing on Emma's story leading into the mental health movement and why she is so passionate about mental health and aviation, normalizing it and getting a better process for it. Uh, We go into some pretty good detail and I'm very thankful for her coming on and sharing her story and sharing uh, what has happened to her and her family and why it is so important to her. And if you want to support the show, you can either buy a hat on our website or you can go to patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. Check out the new tier level for the custom and exclusive pilot the pilot Patreon account and group chat. It's pretty sweet in there and I'm going to be going live there. So you won't want to miss that. So check out Patreon if you want to. Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. Without any further ado, here's episode 159 with Emma. Emma, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing really good. It's always good to talk to someone from North Carolina, you know, go back to my roots being from Charlotte. Uh, you were born near Charlotte too. And I just got talk. I just got done talking with Fly with Garrett and he's from Charlotte. So it's like a whole Charlotte day for me. So it's been great. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We love good old North Kakalaki. I know, right? <laughs> and it's rare to find people that are born in Charlotte. So we all got to stick together. Yeah, for real. I, I honestly, it was crazy when I connected with you, when you told me that I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Small world, right? For real. That's awesome. It's incredibly small world. I know. Well, North Carolina kind of started aviation, so now we got to keep it going, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. I know. I didn't even think about that, Justin. That's kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah, right? That's funny. Well, cool. Definitely. Big changes happen here. Absolutely. Well, uh, we obviously have a lot to talk about. I kind of want to start focusing on you and kind of your aviation story, and then we'll build into everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks and talk about the pilot's pandemic and mental health and everything like that. But I thought it'd be great to highlight you and share your story, uh, the good, the bad, aviation, everything. Uh, the first question I always ask everyone is why aviation? Why did you originally want to become a pilot in the first place? Um, so it, it's it's a little bit of a complex story, um, but it started when I was, I mean, a, ba- a baby. Um, I have been flying in my dad's J3 Cub since I literally could form thoughts or memories. Um, I've always wanted to be a bird. Flying like fascinates me. And I've always been obsessed with clouds. Like clouds are just, I, I can't get enough of a cloud. Okay. Um, so it kind of started at a really young age and I just grew up flying at, like as much as I could with my dad. And then around when I was 15, um, my dad wanted to get, give me my private pilot, well, get me my private pilot. He um, was a CFI, so he was able to actually instruct me um, and kind of get me on the path to doing that. But we, he wanted to solo me and get my private like he did in the, the J3 um, in the Cub. And 
it's, you know, I've never, I've flown the trail dragger those few times that I did growing up all my life, but you know how it is. It's, it's very complex. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to taxi. It makes the process of taking off and landing a little bit more, complex. Um, and it, I really struggled with it in the beginning. And then another part about it was we didn't have breaks. Um, well the breaks that were there, they weren't very great. Um, so I kind of, that, that feeling of like being out of control really scared me. It gave me a lot of adrenaline, but it, it honestly, it petrified me. Um, and I tried for about 10 hours with my dad. And then one day I just, I, I, I was not happy with myself. I felt like I kept running into the same fear. Like we'd literally be right there, you know, 200 feet over the runway. And I'd be like, dad, your controls, like I can't do it. Um, and so I kind of got frustrated and I quit. Um, I actually, you know, told myself there's no way in hell that I'll ever be able to be a pilot. Um, and then I kind of went through high school struggling with what I wanted to do and what I wanted to you know, pursue as a career. Um, and I had always, I always had this passion for helping people. I've always wanted to help people. Um, so I decided I wanted to go to school to be a nurse. Um, I went to school for about a few semesters and this was granted. Now this was after my dad died. Um, my dad died literally a month after I graduated high school. So I went to a community college in my hometown, started doing, you know, the prerequisites for that, but I was still super unhappy. Um, just, it just wasn't giving me, it wasn't fulfilling me the way that I thought it would, even though I loved all my studies and, you know, you know, deepening and furthering my mind was always great, but there was just something that was missing. Um, and one day I was driving home and I lived fairly close to the airport in my hometown, not even five minutes away. Um, so there's airplanes in the sky all the time, but I just happened to look up and I was contemplating everything and there was a plane in the sky. There was a, there was an airplane. And that right then and there, I was like, I'm going to flight school. Um, and so I just kind of, I kind of picked up and, um, finished my classes. And then after that, I took a little bit of time to find, you know, an instructor and a bird and then figured it out from there. But, and then another real big reason why I wanted to was after my dad passed, I, wanted someone to be able to fly the, the cub. Um, I think a combination of that and just my unhappiness in the studies that I was in, um, and then just the spark of inspiration from the sky, it just, everything combined kind of made me really want to pursue it. Um, and really just kind of give back to my brother and sister as well, you know, to be able to, still take them up in the air, which they're all now pursuing aviation as well. So Unreal. we have no worry about that. That's good. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned kind of like a fear of being out of control, the brake issue. What was it like going going back into the airplane, going to go fly? Were those fears still there? Did you still have those or was it completely gone when you got in a different airplane? Well, honestly, it, something definitely changed. And like, yeah, I think. I've always been a really strong person. I'm the oldest of three. Um, and I always, you know, my, my parents are great, but my dad being gone all the time, I really helped my mom a lot. I grew up riding horses. I've always had a lot of responsibility. Um, and I think that fear and that being out of control was 
kind of a mindset that I had before my dad died. Um, after my dad died, it kind of felt, I really started to realize like the meaning of life and, you know, that life can just, you know, simply end as easily as it began. And I think that fear of, you know, being out of control and just fear in general, fear of, you know, crashing or anything bad happening, that that those fears were completely out of my mind. And in a sense, if I'm going to get really deep about it, I, I love my life and I do care deeply for my own life. I'm not like that in any means. I think you need to live, you know, every moment to its fullest. But there was a moment where I asked myself and I said, you know, look at what can happen to someone who literally lives their whole life trying not to die. I can't, I can't keep, I'm not going to live that kind of life. So it just, it, it helped me gain a new perspective. Um, and sorry if I'm rambling, but <laughs> I tend to do that a lot. Um, but I, it just, it gave me a new mindset and I kind of got up there with a, with a fear of, and also I think a lot of it was, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really religious or anything like that, but I definitely felt like I had a guardian angel. Um, I had someone looking out for me. Um, and there's definitely a different, it's definitely a different feeling when you know, you feel like you have someone waiting for you if anything were to go wrong. Um, and that's just really deep thoughts. Um, but I'm one of those worst case scenario kind of people. Um, I tend to be very paranoid. I, I still haven't lost that, that fear, that, that little inch of fear. I'm not one of those very ballsy, like, take the horse, you know, by the reins kind of girl when it comes to the cockpit. I touch everything like it, it like it's a baby. Um, I, I'm very, very sensitive with everything and very, very cautious. Um, so I think, you know, I kind of take my words back. I still definitely do have some of those same fears, but they've honestly helped me just be a safer pilot. Um, yeah. It, it's okay to, to have fears when you're flying, but it's where you direct that, those energy or that energy and those fears you can direct it to, to making you a better pilot and being more aware of what's going on in your scenario. Uh, you can use it to be proactive. Uh, don't let it cripple you. Don't let the fear cripple you to the point where you can't respond. Let it kind of energize you and let it lead you to make the right decision if something does go wrong. So I think you definitely exactly. have learned and are learning still of, of where to direct that energy and, mm -hmm. and that fear. Because there are people that fly all the time that still have some fears of flying or not necessarily flying, but of the worst thing that could happen. Like no one in their whole career has never thought like, well, what would happen? You know, it's just how you handle those emotions in the moment or if something does go wrong. So it's important and it's great that you are learning the fact that you need, you can redirect that energy and, and those fears to help you become the best pilot you can be. Exactly. I know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm jealous of myself when I'm in the cockpit. Like I, 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 I love who I am when, you know, I'm behind that, that plane. I, it, I become my mindset and who I become as a person. I'm so brave. I'm, it makes me so confident. Like I, you know, not machoism, not machoism by any means, but, um, I'm, it, I just, I've, I've always been kind of insecure my whole entire life. So I, it just gives me a lot of power. And it's honestly where my mind is. I'm at the most peace when I'm flying, but at the same time, it's like everything in my brain connects and clicks. Like it's like a well-oiled machine. I can't explain it. My, I, I just, I work best. Does, uh, has that confidence, I would say that you, you have when you're flying, has that come into your real, your not real life, obviously they're both real life, but has that come into life outside of flying? Have you been able to transfer that confidence and be more confident or be more, um, 
I don't really know the right way to say it, but has that helped you out in in life in general from being yes, so confident yeah, being a pilot? Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely given me more um, confidence in my word. I'm one of those people where I'm like, well, mm, I don't know, or I'll say something and I always want to take back my words, or I, I'm never really too sure if what I said to someone was you know, exactly the way that I wanted to say it. Um, after flying, I think that that it definitely just made me way more secure of more, more secure of who I am and, you know, what I have to offer and what I have to bring to the table. Um, I think, you know, being a woman in, in this world is hard. Um, there's definitely things that are harder, but being a woman in this world, let alone being a woman in this industry, you kind of have to learn how to you know, a buddy phrased it to me as you kind of, you got to wear your Pam. Um, (laughs) if you spray your Pam on every single day on your back, the water will roll off. Um, kind of like a duck. Um, so it's kind of given me that in a sense where I, it's really toughened me up. Um, and I'm a lot less intimidated by people who I deem as stronger than myself. Right. Um, how have you been, I guess in the industry, like you mentioned, it is more difficult. People think for some reason that being a woman in aviation, that you're going to have things handed to you. But I've seen and I've heard that that, I mean, maybe that's the case for a couple of people, but that is not the norm whatsoever. Uh, No, not at all. What have you experienced through that? Have you, have people just assumed you don't know what you're doing because you're a woman? Have they thought that they're better than you immediately because they're a guy or they should be better? You know, like what has been your overall experience of being a woman in this industry specifically? Well, I, there's obviously, there's always the people who are going to think that they're, you know, a better, a better person or a better pilot than you just because of their anatomy. Um, there's always going to be that guy. Um, and there's always going to be, you know, I hate to use this, but the old heads that just, you know, you know how it is. They're always going to bat their eyes at you, call you sugar, sweetie, honey, which I'm Southern. So I love that. But, you know, there are times when it can be a little bit inappropriate. Um, I, I had a thought and it left my mind, but I, I think really, um, when it comes to like being a woman in this industry, it's not really, you know, that people think that you're not as good as them or that they're better than you. It's, there's this constant, stigmatism around the fact that we're constantly trying to impress. Um, you know, everything that I did in school, there were, there were guys along the way that would say to me, you know, Oh, you don't, you can ask for help. You don't have to impress me. No, I'm not trying to impress you, sweetie. Um, I just, I just kind of want to learn, you know, like I, you've told me 48,000 times how to do it. I'm just trying to figure it out on my own now. Um, so there, there, I think that that's really the biggest one is the fact that, um, you know, everyone thinks that you're trying to impress. Um, and I think that people want to be impressed in a sense. I don't even really think, you know, it kind of, it's a double-edged sword. I think that people see you and automatically they're like, okay, well she better be, you know, she better be on her shit, you know? Sorry, excuse my language. Are we allowed to cuss? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to hold it back. I'm a, I'm a very, I'm, I have a sailor's mouth. Um, It's all good. Just be yourself. It's all good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so to answer your question, that, no. that definitely be it. Do you, I mean, we mentioned the old heads and obviously 
there is a little bit more, maybe I would, I would hope to say it's more in the older generation, but do you see this continuing in the younger generation as well? Or do you think it, it is getting better? Um, do you think that the, the younger generation is kind of stopping some of those stigmatisms and what, what they used to hold true for diversity or anyone else other than the white male in aviation? I think definitely, um, I, there's obviously, I think our, you know, our, these younger generations and our generation, I, I do definitely see that, you know, people are changing their ways. Um, it's definitely not as much of an issue. I feel like with the youth, but I, now I will say that the, the majority of times that I had, you know, uh, a CFI that, you know, said something snarky to me, it was nine times out of 10, um, like a, a guy younger than me actually. Um, and I think that just has to do with the fact that in aviation, it's really crazy how you can be in such a power of position at such a young age. Um, I mean, when I started flight school, I was, uh, I was 19 and I had like an, I think the youngest CFI I had it, like I had, there were multiple that were like 18 years old, um, which was, I'm not ageist. I'm not ageist at all. I don't want people to get the wrong opinion, but, um, you know, I think being, and, and, you know, being, I think, I don't, I don't know how to phrase this. I don't want to offend people. Um, but I think being that, you know, a single white male at 18 years old, being a CFI out of, you know, uh, class Charlie airport and flying really nice birds. And, you know, like being in that power position, it gives it's, it's that term machoism. I, I think that kind of would be the only, my only complaint with the younger generation. And it's, I feel like in their mind, it's hard for them because they've just been very successful at a very young age and they're very proud of themselves. And there's nothing wrong with no, that. And I mean, not. I, I, I think it's so impressive. I mean, I, it's very impressive. I mean, I, I much respect. I mean, I cannot imagine being a CFI at 18 years old. That is an incredible feat. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying that all of them are like that. There were just, you know, a select few. And I, I mean, I've been really lucky. I feel like I haven't, you know, had that experience as bad as I could have had. No, I mean, if there have been, I've heard horror stories. So the fact that you're not leading off of the horror story, that has to be a good thing. But even if there's just one story, it's probably one story too many, you know, it's like, it should just be yeah. equal for everyone. Um, it's not the world we live in right now. And I mean, that's been proven time and time again over a lot of things. The only thing we can do is raise awareness and be the change that you want to see. So stop it here. Stop it today. Don't just do things because that's how it's always been done. So um, it's up to everyone to, to make that change and make it more accessible and more acceptable and, and better for everyone. Exactly. You're right on the money, Justin. <laughs> what was... um. What was it like when you took your first flight back? Was it was there a lot of emotion coming into that day and finishing that day? Or were you mainly focused on getting over the fear uh, of flying, I guess? Uh, my first flight back, like when I decided to go. Like, yeah, like when um, you looked I'm up back. and you saw the plane, you're like, I'm going to do this. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest... I, like I said, I grew up flying. Um, it was more of one of those feelings where like, I, I was super nervous before, but the minute, like the, like the minute we flipped the mags, like that humming, I just it, instant, like beaming smile, like literally like from ear to ear. And I mean, the only way I can describe it is just that we feeling, um, like I, we got in and I mean, we took off and I was just Every single time, and I still to this day, my jaw drops every single time. 
Like I can't take off and not say we or, oh, wow, or, hey, this never gets old, man. Like I cannot, it just can't not leave my mouth. Um, I'm just, I'm so in love with flying and being in the air that once I got up there, it was more or less like an overwhelming feeling of joy. Like I almost wanted to cry. And a big emotion was, you know, that I, I wish that my dad were there and that, you know, my dad were about to start this journey with me. Um, that was definitely a big thing in the front of my mind. Absolutely. I, I mean, I can only imagine that. Uh, when, when you, not to like make a joke out of what you said first, but when you said <laughs> we, uh, all I could think about is a TikTok where they have the, yes. someone's going, we, we. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly that emotion. Exactly that. So that. That's me every single time I step into the plane. Not that's gonna awesome. lie. <laughs> I love that TikTok. So that's great. <laughs> Uh, it's also weird me being 31 talking about TikTok. So like I'm out of my comfort I zone love, here. Okay. I don't care what anyone says. I love TikTok. Okay. I've learned so much on TikTok. It's, it's, it's truly terrifying, but we won't, we won't start talking about TikTok, but sorry, love TikTok. You cannot, you cannot make me feel bad for it. I think oh, it's no. awesome. I like TikTok too. It's just, I feel like I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm out of like a 30 year old shouldn't be on TikTok. You know, it's like a young person's game. No, it's, it's videos. People, people think it's all just jokes and stuff, but man, there's some really cool stuff on TikTok. And I've, I've been able to, you know, watch some really, really cool videos that people have made flying even and get connected with people through TikTok even. So I I love TikTok. Yeah. What's, what's your goal for flying? Uh, You mentioned that in the beginning, you said you wanted to be there for your siblings to take them up in the J3 Cup or to keep the flying alive in your family. Is it to pursue a career in aviation? Is it to fly for fun? Is it to have your own plane just to fly the J3 Cub? What's kind of your ultimate goal for aviation for you? Uh, I want to be a bush pilot. Um, I know when, when I say that to people in aviation, they look at me like, have fun, sweetheart. You have good luck with that. Okay. Um, but I, I'm, I can't, one thing I've learned recently a lot is I can't not be true to myself. Um, that's been a dream of mine for a really long time. Um, and I kind of pushed it away for a while because the hour requirement and all the experience that goes into it is really rigorous. Um, and it's definitely a high stakes gig. Um, but there's nothing that makes me more happy than the thought of being able to guide people in Alaska or somewhere out West. Um, even doing, I I really kind of wanted to get into like, um, air ambulance even because a lot of that stuff, a lot of that flying is pretty rural. Um, so I, I have a, I definitely have a passion for the wilderness. I love, love, love the ocean, but I am, there's something about the mountains that just, I can't live without them. They, they just make a huge lump in my throat. Um, so I've always been fascinated by that kind of Alaskan cowboy pilot kind of life. Um, those guys are like my superheroes. Um, I have a friend who flies in Alaska right now. And after this, I can put all, I'll message her to, to reach out to you. Do you follow Brittany spins on Instagram? I'm not sure. The name right. sounds really familiar, so maybe. I'll reach out to her. She She's a good follow to have and a good person to, to be connected with because she kind of just like loves life and does a lot of cool flying up there. So she's a good one for sure. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, that's my ultimate goal. I, I just, I want to be, yeah, I really, really want to be a bush pilot. I don't know how I'm going to make it happen, but if, 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 
if I'm 50 or 60 years old by the time I'm out there, so be it. I'll be a bush pilot uh, into, yeah. Would you ever go down the airline route to help you get to the bush pilot route to like afford to buy a bush plane? Or is it just kind of um, flying for fun or flying for, for what you want to do rather than to fly to make money? So I, um, you know, I grew up in that industry, you know, my uncle being in it and then my, you know, my dad being in it. And then my, my mom was a flight attendant. My grandma was a flight attendant and my aunt was a flight attendant. Um, so that industry is something that, I mean, I don't want to say I grew up in it, but I pretty much did. I, it was, it was all of our lives. Um, so I, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with it. I love the glitz and the glam of it. Um, but I, you know, the beginning of it and the, in the process to kind of get there and, you know, the struggle and the in and out of being a first officer and living that kind of life. Um, I, I don't think it would make me happy. I'm one of those people, I'm kind of a little bit of a homebody. Um, I love to travel and I love to get out there, but I do know that eventually one day I, I want to be a mom. Um, and I definitely want to be like a really big part of my kid's life. And, my my dad was there for a, a really really big part of our life, but there were a lot of times that um, he couldn't be there, and it it definitely it definitely kind of sucked. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you what was it like growing up and being a daughter in an aviation family, because a lot of people think about becoming a pilot and they want to know what's it like going to be on the family. For me, it was similar to kind of what you're saying. My dad my dad's a pilot for American. He still is. He's got like two years or a year and a half left. But he was not there for everything, but he was there for things that other dads weren't able to be for, you know, like he yeah. was able to come to lunch a little bit more than other at, the, at school. He was able to do coach random games that other people weren't able to on weekdays. He was able to do a bunch of things that that made up for those things, but it still doesn't change the fact that he's not going to be able to be there for everything. And that's just a fact. That's just aviation in general. You're not going to be there for everything. And that doesn't yeah. mean you being in banking or finance doesn't mean you'll be able to be there for everything, but it's just kind of, it comes with aviation. So what was it like growing up for you in an aviation family like that? Was yours similar to what I was saying? Yeah, definitely. Um, like what you said about being able to be there for like special things. There was this um, program that we had at our elementary school called Watchdogs. And it was pretty much like parents could volunteer and like help the the police officer at the school and kind of just you know, supervise classes if the teacher needed to walk out or make sure, you know, students weren't, you know, doing bad stuff basically. But I don't know what, you know, I don't know what elementary kids would do that would be bad that they need the watchdogs, you know, to come and get them. But uh, yeah, you, you be surprised these days, these little, these little munchkins, they, they get up to no good. Um, but yeah, so he was able to do things like that. And, um, you know, that, which were really special to all three of us kids. And there were definitely a lot of things that we could do that I saw growing up that, you know, my friend's fathers or my friend's families couldn't do. Um, and, and I love that aspect of it. I mean, to be able to, you know, get on a plane and, and fly for free anywhere is just, that's unbeatable. I mean, the amount of experiences that we had were just incredible. But on the other hand of that, and I don't know, you know, and this is something I haven't talked about, but I, and I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if other, if other people in aviation and other families of aviation are like this, but when we would travel together, um, we, we did, we were not allowed to like, my dad did not allow us to like, talk to him, look at him. We weren't allowed to acknowledge him because my dad was always afraid of like, 
I don't know, like a, a, I hate to go there, but a terrorist type situation. He was a lot like me, worst case scenario kind of guy. But my dad was always really paranoid that, you know, if somebody had an ill, ill intent that they would use us to get, you know, their way because he knew that he could help them get their way. Um, if that makes sense. But yeah, we had to be, I mean, my dad was always really, really, he, he never wanted us to post pictures of him. He was always a very, very private person. Um, he actually was a, fl- a flight deck officer and worked for Homeland Security. So he he was very into protecting the cockpit and protecting his passengers, protecting his his plane, his you know integrity, his family. Um, my dad was a very guarded man. Um, so it, and and aviation definitely had something to do with that because my dad, it, you know, people who know my dad know that my my dad's smile could light up all of San Francisco. Like that man was bubbly and sweating. I mean, just the coolest guy you'll ever meet. But at the same time, there was a side of my dad that was extremely guarded because of his job and because of aviation and everything surrounding it. Do you think aviation kind of turned him into that way a little bit? Like he was able to flip the switch just because of aviation? Or do you think anything he did, he would have been more like that, more guarded and more uh, intense, I guess I should say? I definitely think aviation had a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, my dad was always, he's a family man. He, he definitely would be, be the dad. He, he'd protect us till his dying breath, but, um, aviation, I definitely think would be the cause of why he was so guarded. Um, cause he was just very private about his life. And, um, you know, like I said, we, we, he freaked out. He did not like us to post pictures of him, not even for those kinds of fears of like ill and like bad people with ill intent, but more or less like even he always feared that, you know, some, my kids are going to do something or they're going to, my kids are going to get me doing something bad and I'm going to get in trouble. And my dad was a great guy. He never did anything wrong. Like, but he just, he was always so afraid of losing his job or losing his career or just anything bad happening. I mean, this man lived life like on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's always good to error in this case of not posting something on social media, uh, especially with some people in aviation are just posting all the craziest stuff. And it's like, that's going to get you fired. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I don't know how I see some of it. And I'm like, dude, oh my God, that makes me nervous for you, which I can't say anything because I feel like I've kind of put it, you know, all on the line with everything going on right now. I'm like, I keep getting my my mom's like, you're going to get blacklisted, Emma. They're never going to let you fly for an airline ever again. I'm like, Oh mom, like, please don't say that. Please don't say that. But well, the good news is you just said that you didn't want to fly for an airline. So (laughs) yeah, exactly. Well, and that's what I keep telling her. And I've been trying to tell her since the day one I went to school, she, she really wants us all to, she, she wants us all to go to the airline. She wants us to follow right in daddy's footsteps. But I I keep, she's, she's always like, she's like, I'm not going to pay for you to go to school for you to go out West and be some flying hippie. (laughs) That's funny. We'll have to introduce her to the flying hippies and see if they can change her mind. Yeah, I know. Aren't those guys totally badass? Yeah, they're pretty cool. (laughs) They're awesome. I, I love their page. They're, um, their, their YouTube honestly helped me get through flight school. Cause when I was having a bad experience and like feeling unmotivated, like I'd watch their videos and I just tell myself like, yo, I'm gonna do that one day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on the past two weeks, I guess, uh, to start out with, 
what was your why now? Why right now? Like were things just all bottling up and you just wanted to get it out, or was this a long time coming? Did you have the a date circled that you were gonna come out and, and start a movement for for mental health? Um, kind of talk a little about the why of uh, your post. Sure, sure. So. <laughs> You know, I stay true to myself. And if I'm going to be true to myself, I'm going to do it Emma style, which is like, look up at the sky one day and decide, you know, I'm going to change my life. Um, Which this definitely was something that had been bottling up inside me for a really long time. Um, It's definitely something which if you've listened to the, the episodes, you can hear the anger in my voice. Um, It's, I just, I got to a point where I I've been struggling so much with myself and, you know, what can I do to, you know, change this? And it it first began with my dad and just, I really wanted justice for my dad because I'm not going to go into full detail about my dad's story because I'm trying to, you know, cover every single detail of it in like in full tea. So But what happened to my dad was just so wrong and is so unjust. Um, And I heard, you know, I'd always known growing up in, you know, in and around the industry that that was an issue that people, you know, lie to their AMEs. When I went to go get my first medical, like my dad even told me, he was like, you do not say anything. You do not say anything. As far as he knows, you're happy, you're content, you when you never hit your head, you don't take any drugs, you don't take any pills, you, you nothing wrong with you. You're you're a freaking perfect human being. All right, leave all the boxes blank. And you know, I'll never forget sitting there and like my you could tell. I mean, I could hear my like I could see the the vein on my dad's forehead freaking pulsing. And when we were there, and I started to get so incredibly nervous. And I realized when, when he came back into the room, he, he came back into the room and it's almost like he wanted to scare me, my, the AME. He, um, he came back into the room and it was right after they had like taken like um, some, some test. And he came back into the room like he was about ready to tell me I had cancer and I could never fly again. And he, and he leads with like this, he's all, he's all stoic. He comes into the room. He doesn't really say much. He's like really quiet. And he's like, well... Emma, now here's what you need to know. And he starts by, you're not allowed to take Benadryl. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, bud. You got to be kidding me. You literally, that was the suspense of a lifetime. You literally had me on pins and needles. Me and my dad are about to like literally both keel over. And like, you come in here and say, I'm not allowed to take Benadryl. But it's just things like that. And like these little stories that along the way, like I just became... No, I don't want to say outraged. Like I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not an angry person by any means, but I just, I can't, I can't keep holding on to this anymore. Um, and it really started, you know, for my dad. And then I really started to think about, you know, what, what had happened to my uncle. And then I started to actually get on Google and actually like start researching. And then I found, I I stumbled upon Dr. Billy Hoffman's case studies on, on the subject. And then like from there on out, I pretty much was just like, oh, I'm going to do everything in my power to change the world. Like I'm going to do everything in my power to make this change. I don't care if I, if I die trying, like 
this is just and 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 now that it's completely blown up i've realized how much even bigger it is and how much more of a problem it is and 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 I, yeah i scatter brain because it's just it's so much to take in and i literally like i said i mean it had i had really been thinking about it it was really on the front of my mind for about a month and finally it got to a point where like I just was waking up every day and I just felt really, really mad and like really anxious for no reason. Like everything in my life is going pretty well, swimmingly well. And I just felt restless. Restless is the only word. Um, and, and from there on out, I just, I, I really just sat down with my phone and I recorded that first episode and I released that and that was it. Um, and I had released, you know, the, the, the images, you know, kind of briefly summarizing my dad's story. So th those were the only two pieces. And then like literally overnight, I had gotten so many plays and I was like, and then my, my Instagram was blowing up. People were literally messaging me, telling me just the crazy, bizarre things that they've lost their medical for that there's people out here fighting the same exact kind of struggles People are thanking me. People are telling me I'm so brave. And I'm like, uh, uh, oh God. I'm like, I'm like, what do I do now? What do I do now? And then I'm like, immediately I was like, okay, the petition, like have to get a petition going like right now. So did that. And I mean, I, I don't want to sound unprofessional, but because I, I take this matter extremely seriously, this is not something I take lightly at all, but I have been kind of just going about this, you know, day to day because it's all so new. Well, do you mind backing up? Do you mind telling a little bit of your story for anyone that doesn't know about this, about your dad and your uncle, the Sparknotes version of what kind of made this so personal in the first place? Yeah. So, um, so when my dad, so my dad and my uncle were both extremely senior captains for American airlines. Um, about three and a half years ago, my dad dropped dead in a colony tire parking lot after a year long battle. Like I wouldn't say battle, but a year long fight pretty much to get back his medical, um, and prove his health. Um, he had, he had known he was sick for, we know now like a while and he out of fear never sought help. Um, and it, it killed him. Um, yeah, just a combination of everything, a combination of him, you know, trying really, really hard to do all the procedures that he, he did to get his medical back. And like when he died, he literally had the green light. He had the approval. He was right ready to walk back on the flight line and he literally just dropped cold dead out of nowhere like just wham bam done nothing that they could do and um you know he like i said he knew he was sick for a while he didn't go to the doctor out of fear my mom has now you know told me and expressed to me that this is something that was always on the forefront of my dad's mind and he was just you know truly petrified of what would happen if he got help. Um, and then about, I, not, I don't want to say a few months later, it was almost, uh, crap. Um, it was about 10 or 11 months after my dad died. Um, my uncle, again, very more senior than my father, extremely senior captain for American airlines. Um, he, he killed himself a few months after my dad died. Um, and 
I think his story is going to, both of their stories are so large, but his story is the one that really saddens me because he, him, him and his brother, my dad, they were, they were pretty close. My, my uncle raised my father. Um, my, their, their dad died when my dad was 10. Um, and so they were very close. They did everything together. They worked for the same airlines throughout their whole entire careers. Um, they were best friends. And I think what killed my father, my, my uncle was just the, 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 the grief. And there were other things going on in his life and the grief of his little brother. And he, he couldn't reach out and get help because he knew he would lose his livelihood. Right. Um, yeah, that's, it almost leaves you at a loss for words, kind of like that, that is the scenario that you're in, that it's, uh, if you admit to anything, uh, if you admit to mental health, if you admit to being sick, um, you're essentially done with your living, with what you're known as. And what I've been talking about this whole time with furloughs and everything is pilots associate themselves, like being a pilot is more than just having a job. Being a pilot is who you are, like from every aspect of your life, like how you think, how you operate, like being a pilot is so important. And the fact that there's no option, there's no real options to go about that. If it, something's not right, whether it's mentally, whether it's your health, um, it is very, very difficult for any pilot right now to go out and, and figure out um, how, to, how to get through it and how to, what to do. Uh, I mean, there is the point where people can think about, and I'm not saying this is right, but it's like, well, you want your pilot to be healthy or you want your pilot to not have any mental health issues, which is true. I mean, of course you want that, but that's not the case for everyone. Like that's not, that's not possible. It's just not realistic. Um, It's just not, that's not. And like I said, it's, it's just, that's not human emotion. Um, We expect these people to function, you know, 100 all the time. Like, uh, it's just, it, it's just very, very, um, are like, it's an archaic way of thinking, you know, to think that it, just because you're depressed, you know, and, and we take my, you know, uncle's story as a really extreme case of that. And, you know, he, he removed himself from the flight line, but he still, he still took his own life. And, he, he did, he removed himself from the flight line out of, you know, duty and responsibility. But that, that's what I'm talking about. This, 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 um, it's a stigmatism around, you know, mental illness that because you're feeling sad or, you know, you might not, you not, might not be suicidal, but that stigmatism that, you know, because you're depressed or because you're unhappy that you're unsafe and that you're pretty much, I mean, they, they look at it as like, you know, if you're feeling any kind of anxiety or if you're feeling any kind of depression, you're incapable of thinking. And that's just not, that's just not it. That's just, with everything that we know now with modern medicine, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 159. This is, like I said, part one of part two. We actually filmed this whole thing in one episode. And for some reason, I don't know what software it was on my end, but her audio wasn't usable. Uh, Somehow it kind of scrambled it and it was just a bunch of static. So we're going to have to record part two, Uh, but we're going to go more in depth and hopefully that will be coming out in the next week or weeks to come. 
So Emma, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to talk to you again. And like I said earlier, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Reviews mean so much to us and get the podcast out there. Shout out to Kevin, my editor, for just doing an awesome job. You're the man. Appreciate you. You're an unsung hero. <laughs> but man, I appreciate it. Everyone, thank you so much. I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.